now that we're friends Here is an album you would like Here is a book you would like I think you'd like my cat and also my dog Because we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends Now that we're friends, that we're friends. Hello and welcome to now that we're friends, the podcast that takes your life questions and gives you homework. I'm Caroline, and I'm based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm Gail, coming at you from Young Harris, Georgia. I'm Anne in Washington, D.C. And I'm Lisanne, the producer in Jersey City, New Jersey. If you are new here, we started Now That We're Friends in 2019. These three pals who had known each other for a decade got together with a producer they just met but generally liked to give advice for your problems via recommendations. We went through our favorite movies, books, albums, TV shows, and of course, poems to curate the best, to our abilities, list of possible solutions to quite universal issues. Each episode, we tackle questions sent in by friends and listeners on how to deal with a problem by giving our arts recommendations to help. We are so glad you're back with us after two years of hiatus. Woo. Woo. <laughs> and how is everyone doing? Great. Um, yeah, pretty good. It's been, it's been a monumental two years, I'd say. Yeah, it's been a doozy. Everything's basically the same as it was yeah, two I years mean, ago. Yeah, I mean, it's still 2019, me. right? <laughs> mm-hmm. I almost... In the intro there said, I'm Caroline Cabrera, education coordinator at o Miami, because I have to do that so often for work. <laughs> I had to stop. So Caroline got a new job. I did. I got a yeah, new job. You might, you might have had this. No, I think you had this job last time. I don't time. think when we recorded. I think maybe, I don't know. I got a new job and I had a baby. <laughs> I made a whole human. <laughs> so that's exciting. It's so pretty good. I, I have a. Yeah. And we all really like her. Caroline was worried that we wouldn't like her baby, but everybody, rest assured, we love Juniper Blue. She is. Can I say I'm on the fence? On the you can't. <laughs> You're violating her privacy. No, yeah, we can say her name. I, I imagine I might talk about her because um, she's awesome, and I'm glad you guys. I could believe her name. Yeah. Boop. <laughs> How's everyone else? The exact same. You also had a baby? No. (laughs) I am the exact same. (laughs) Oh, I see. I have the same job and I made no human. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's true for me too. Yeah. Lisanne, you changed a whole place. (laughs) I I created no human, but I have a different job and a different place. I, I was in Miami two years ago and now I'm in New Jersey. Which is like the Miami of... I've heard that often, yeah. (laughs) It's commonly said. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'm getting new eyeballs in a week and a half. Brand new eyeballs. In your face or like a collection? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she took Um, up eyeball collecting. Actually, yeah. So I'm getting a fresh collection um, for my already hefty basement collection that I have right now. <laughs> hefty is such a good word. Yeah. Um, no, I'm getting new eyeballs. I'm pretty nervous about it. 
they're not eyeballs. I'm getting LASIK surgery. <laughs> That's exciting. That's super exciting. It. I'm really glad I made all of the decisions, and I'm just kind of rolling with it because I'm pretty sure that it's going to blind me, and I'm going to have to never see again. And so yeah, that's a spirit. I'm just gonna, yeah. <laughs> so I'm just following through the motions at this point. Like, yeah, I get, okay, I have an appointment. Guess I'll just go to that appointment. And then surprise, I got an operation. <laughs> Make sure to um, confirm with the doctor the surgery that you're getting before they start. Yeah. Okay. I'll make sure to do it right before they start, too. So I jump up out of the chair. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Wait, this is eyeball removal? (laughs) I have heard that, though. I've heard people say that, like, you should do stuff like write your blood type and all sorts of stuff on your body before surgery. Guys, I just feel really sick. (laughs) Sorry. Well, before Matt... So my husband had a motorcycle accident. That's something that happened and had That's to have surgery. It was it was fairly minor. But the surgeon did come in and, like, put a black X on the ankle to operate on. Because that does happen. Yep. That sometimes... My mom's... They do the wrong thing. Really and good. And you wake up and you're, like, forever altered. Anyway, sorry. No, I'm sorry. I jumped in. I wanted to share that my mom's friend a long time ago had to get a mastectomy and she wrote this one not this one on her boobs just to yeah clear things up <laughs> well i mean fortunately i would just write this one and this one both of these because it's both right of on my your eyes. eyelids <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like don't worry you're doing both and if they can't tell the difference between left and right at that point i thought you meant you were gonna mark both of your boobs before your eyes <laughs> Uh, we're doing the boob eye surgery, right? <laughs> I want you to write like the old switcheroo. Yeah. <laughs> I want oh, you to no. write like these guys or these puppies and l- little arrows on your forehead. <laughs> anything else? Anything for you, Anne? Other than Matt getting in a motorcycle? <laughs> Something that that wasn't actually didn't actually happen to me. <laughs> um, not really. You've been doing a lot of camping and hiking. Yeah, I've taken up some new hobbies during the pandemic. I think I talked about bird watching during our live episode that was somehow Ooh, almost cool. two years ago. <laughs> yeah. Still have leaned in pretty heavily to bird watching. I got three books about bird watching for Christmas. So, <laughs> and I now have a new bird hat. We're which, slowly alienating Anne. Yeah. Is what we're trying to say. With a kestrel on it. And a few weeks ago, I started taking a pottery class, which is very exciting and is making my mom very happy because she is a very excellent potter. (laughs) And yeah, so far I've made a very thick cup (laughs) and a very lumpy vase that I sent a picture of to Mm -hmm. my mom and to my friends here mm-hmm. on this on this podcast and um this i will try to make it better next week when i learn how to trim pots um I'm, i don't know what else i'm very it's awesome proud and impressed me too thank you i i'm proud of myself too because i don't know about you guys but 
I've been pretty depressed. (laughs) (laughs) No, everything's been really fine here. Don't worry. (laughs) So finding new creative outlets and just um, new hobbies and things to focus my attention on that isn't just, you know, swirling anxieties Mm -hmm. has been really helpful. I started to go for walks every morning before work. Pretty basic stuff that, you know, people and therapists have been telling me to do for years. Sounds Um, like lies. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Why do that when I can watch six hours of TV? But, um, yeah, trying to to lean into some things that are fun and healthier for me. Amazing. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That is great. Should we get to our question for this week? Please. All right. Sure. Hi, uh, my name is Madari, and I've been wondering why our generation is so obsessed with work. This hustle and grind, thank God it's Monday, bragging about staying late culture. When did we all decide we needed careers and not just jobs? And what if you don't want a career? I love this question from Madari. Me too. I do too. I have so many things to say about it. I have a, a question for you guys. What do you define as a career? Ooh. That is a good question. <laughs> I was I was interpreting career as the sort of climbing the ladder yeah. kind mm. of career where you're always like looking for the next next way next way up. I guess that's another way of saying mm-hmm. ladder. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's like a step. <laughs> it's like a step maybe, that goes up, maybe into the yeah. sky. <laughs> made of wood. Um, or steel. They sometimes made of metal. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and I always think ladders of... Ladders I mean, podcast? Yeah. <laughs> um, now that we're ladders. Um, I, I was also thinking about this idea of like something that you identify with personally, right? This is part of my personality is yes. a career. But I I also consider that it's like a question I have um, also when I think about vocations, right? Like we always think about vocations as like nursing jobs and then teaching jobs, like jobs that like, I mean, literally are unpaid. Like if you're a nun and you're a teaching nun, you're unpaid. You do it because you love the Lord and teaching, right? Um, And (laughs) so like it's out of something that's like beyond. Yeah. It's like a calling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Calling. Yeah. Um, You've been vocated that's not a thing but you've been called yeah I, um i agree which is different i think that that really gets to the core of some of the things i was thinking about with the recommendation too is how like it seems like part of the if we were going to answer madari's question which we're not we're going to recommend but if we were going to take a stab at it, it seems like part <laughs> of the reason that people are so obsessed with work is that a lot of people do find their identity in defining who they are by what they do I actually I listened to an episode of hidden brain I believe a while back where a woman was talking about like having gone back with her husband to his high school reunion and he worked in like a small like um, working class town where like you know whatever whatever industry was was kind of the town was built up around had kind of like um, you know like the factory had closed type situation and so a lot of people, their jobs had changed and that because 
she and her husband live in like a city and what they're used to is when you meet people you're like oh what do you do and that people found it really offensive they're like what do you mm-hmm. mean what do I do like I'm you know because like there are lots of situations where if you're not in this white collar corporate ladder blah 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 that maybe you have a very different relationship to work yeah absolutely I was reading somewhere about this one person who's like yeah I, I get disability and I, I actually can't work so um it's it's not really fun when I'm asked that question yeah it's not really, did I say it's not really fun? I almost said, I'm not really fun. It's not really fun when I'm asked that question. Because <laughs> it is, I mean, it really, it recognizes like, oh yes, well, we all work, right? We, of course we all work. You've never lost a job, right? And it's, yeah, it's not fair. Yeah. It also kind of like, I was thinking about the culture in different places. Because when I lived in Denver, it's very much like an uh, a recreational culture. So like, even though... You know, people might have jobs and they might they might reference what it is they do for work. People are really interested in like talking about like, well, what do you do? Do you hike? Do you mountain climb? Do you mountain bike? You know, like it's just the culture there is like, oh, I, I work so that I can have fun. Whereas like every other place I've lived, you know, even though Denver is like a big city and, you know, I've always worked in like the same types of circles. So it wasn't like a different, you know, type of job necessarily, but it was still like a very different attitude towards work than I've experienced in other cities yeah and moving to DC oh god I can imagine was (laughs) just the most hyper focused on that what do you do Mm -hmm. question (laughs) more than more than anywhere anywhere in doing um, any of this research they kept like everybody in the comment section of any time I'd see like a there'd be like an Instagram actually this wasn't even in research I just saw this on Instagram the other day it was like a thing and it was just like what can you ask instead of asking people what they do and literally all the comments were like yeah looking at you DC yeah DC (laughs) calling out Washington DC and I was like damn that's rough but it's it's true in my experience and you know Working on Capitol Hill, it's just, it's a very, very work is, work is life culture. Which, I mean, if you love, I mean, because, I mean, that's part of this whole thing is like, you do what, I mean, in general, that's such a place of like, you do what you love, right? Like, I I think about the West Wing, where like, if you love our country, you get to go and do the thing for our country, right? Obviously, people do things in D.C. that are not related to the government. But I'm thinking like Capitol Hill. And so, yeah, I mean, that's something of like, you do, you like, it is sometimes really wonderful to, to find a job and the thing that you love, but it also, uh, it sometimes really sucks. Yeah. But also, yeah. I mean, either way, I think like it's something that we somehow are starting to spend over 10 hours a day at doing because now we're just working all the time, generally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that sort of do what you love mantra is so exploited. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can love what you do, but I find sometimes only to a certain point, right? Um, Because at least for me, I also want to do things outside of my job that I love. And I think I speak for all of us as creative people. We want time, you know, to focus on our own creative work and have whatever hobbies we want and have energy to do anything or just to like sit and stare at the wall right mm-hmm. I mean like that's valuable too I yeah I want to say um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and 
I know we're we're in pre-recommendation, but I just want to say I have been having I have had a series of conversations lately with former interns that I've had who are looking for career advice mm-hmm. and who are all just kind of freaked out by this culture that they're entering where before you even graduate, you need to have like a LinkedIn profile. Some of them have business cards, even though they are still students. And this is <laughs> this is encouraged behavior. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And something I keep saying is you don't need to know what your path is. And as someone who I would say I have not followed a very linear career path, that has been a benefit for me, and that has something I sort of figured out worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to have a job that is fulfilling to a certain degree that, you know, serves a mission that I value, but I also want to clock out at the end of the day yeah. and live my life. And I don't identify with a job or a career in that way. Some people do, and that's great. But that as sort of the dominant culture, I think, can be so toxic for people who who don't feel that way because I, I it just it doesn't have to to be that way, and not to toot my own horn, <laughs> but when I tell this to former interns, they're like, "Oh my god, that makes me feel so much better." Yeah. Like just to hear that from somebody that it's okay to, I mean, it 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 does it takes you know a certain privilege, right, to be able to, like, try out different jobs and, you know, job security is something that's obviously very important, but you don't need to feel like you have to follow this very prescriptive path. Yeah. Um, When often the prescriptive path, I'm only speaking hypothetically here, often the prescriptive path is a false goal-orienting structure that when you find yourself at the end of the ladder you find that there is no meaning behind the ladder and that's Mm -hmm. very that's like such a bummer feeling it's like oh I've actually just been like so goal oriented I forgot to care about the thing that I'm working on yeah I also it's a hollow ladder if you will it's a hollow wow (laughs) back to ladders I think something that like undergirds a lot of what we're talking about and like an undercurrent (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry now that we're undergirds now that we're undergird your loins (laughs) I think an undercurrent in Madari's question is like this culture of like busyness like I I feel like I know people like this who like want to tell you how busy they are and it's it's often like as a way of, of showing you how important they are like it's a way of like like trying to kind of communicate their value and I feel like that's what's going on here period is that like people are falling into the trap of like only valuing yourself as far as like you are productive as a worker in society you know which like I think I've been really aware of obviously during the past couple years where it's like oh you know we need these essential workers you're essential but you make like shit pay but you're essential so like get on the front lines you know I also just remember like because it was still technically the democratic primary season when 
the pandemic hit and I was just like, if the, if there's anything that was going to make people get behind like Medicare for all, it would be, <laughs> you know, massive <laughs> health crises. And then that never happened, you know, like I just think, but I think that's part of what's like so toxic about this is it's like, let me prove myself to some larger power that like I am productive as like a a cog in the machine and I say that as someone who like actually really does feel passionate about my job and I I love my job and I get a lot of fulfillment out of it but I've had jobs where I didn't feel that way um and Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. and you're a person outside of your job yeah I hope so (laughs) (laughs) not anymore I'm not anyway (laughs) um but yeah, I actually had this conversation over the weekend with a couple of my my colleagues, and there. So I asked this question because we were all people who are who ended up being professors mm-hmm. and the thing that we supposedly love. And um, I say supposedly like it's a secret. Everyone still does love that thing. Um, but it was really interesting to talk to those people because we all had incredibly different ideas of our jobs and how we identified with our jobs. Um, and I had one friend who said um, that he identified so much with being a teacher more than anything else, more than being um, like a psychologist, more than being a scholar, more than being anything else, um, a teacher. He said, he actually said he was, um, <laughs> he said he was like the the uh, history of magic teacher, Professor Binns in Harry Potter, who died uh, and like Continues as a ghost became teach. a teacher. Yeah, he died because he like was continuing to teach and he forgot to stop teaching when he died. And so just became a teacher ghost. And in this question, we we're kind of like, if you um, if anything ever happened or if like you won the lottery, um, would you quit your job? It like what, it, you know, is, is your job that much of your identity that you wouldn't quit it? And he said, absolutely. Like, that's a thing that he hmm. finds so connected to his identity and who he is and so there's that end of the scale and then there's another person who's just like you know actually I I just kind of followed the things that I liked and I ended up in this path mm-hmm. which I was like mm-hmm. you know what that's that's probably the best way to look at this it's like you know what I was kind of like I lucked into this career of wherever I am of like I happen to just follow um like started with like film studies and looking up all this like film community and then got like went into communication is now a professor in communication, like just doing all of the good stuff. Um, all just because they ended up following what they liked at the time, which was really cool. And yeah, and I think for me, it's like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm someone who I'm just now starting to like start to pot, like let people know that I'm actually scary busy and it's really worrying me because I don't like being that person who's like, well, I'm very busy. I'm very stressed. But like also, and so I recognize that that's a really, because I hate people who say that all the time. But sometimes I'm like, I actually started saying it to someone today and I was like, I'm saying it because I actually, I need to tell somebody because it's really bothering me how busy I am and how stressed I am. Yeah. Because it's really, it's not fair. Yeah. Um, and it is like, I, I'm starting to identify with my job and it, to me, it shouldn't be that way. I do not, like, I, I feel like I am more things than a teacher. I love teaching. I love my students. I love everything about what I do. Um, but I am, I am unable to create those boundaries for myself, no matter how much I love it. I think I'm, I'm over-identifying with it, and it's something that... And I'm also giving everyone all of my 24 hours, and I shouldn't, but... Yeah. Um, well, and, I, and yours, yeah. is, yours is, is situational. You're not, you're not saying you're busy as, as posturing. No. You're saying <laughs> it because you 
have very few hours in the day when you can actually rest and sleep. And that is that is concerning. I mean, and that's yes. And that's and that's toxic. And that's and, and that's, that's I mean, part, and that's, that's part turns of into the, like... the sort of exploitation in in the culture, yep. too. Yeah. And with and with teaching, even with, you know, people doing what they love, but doing what you love 24 hours a day and not paid 24 hours a day. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I wake up tough. in the middle of the night really concerned about whether my students are getting a certain thing right and what's the best kind of lesson plan to get this thing across. And, and I, I'm not getting paid for that hour of sleep that I'm missing. <laughs> right. I mean, and, and especially now it's teachers are also kind of social workers yeah. and yeah. therapists. And so, Gail, when you say you're busy, <laughs> none of us are. None of us I'm are, like, so mimicking you being like, oh, Gail's busy. Yeah, I can't that... believe she's telling us she's busy. I mean, the next time I say I'm very busy and therefore very important, feel free to slap yeah. me. Sure. Okay. I wasn't, then, like, then we'll know that you're posturing. I wasn't subtweeting you on our friendship podcast. I don't know. Really? No. <laughs> Um, it really felt like you were. No, it did not. <laughs> it was just funny, Caroline. So for our listeners, we can see each other, but you cannot see us. But while Caroline was saying that, Gil mouthed, I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> silently. And so that's what I was shaking my head. No, anyway. And also for our listeners, I was doing it as a joke. I don't actually think Caroline is subtweeting me. <laughs> that would be a really weird podcast. And that's just the kind of... Um, I know this person. Her name is Schmerlein Schmerbrera. <laughs> Now that we're subtweeting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I became a bitch during the pandemic, guys. <laughs> yeah, no update. I was going to bring that up, but I... <laughs> the baby comes first. Yeah, she took it all out of me. <laughs> I had yeah. some nice and it just drained right out. Should we, uh, <laughs> should we give some recommendations? <laughs> we really should. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Madari, for yes. hanging with us. I can jump in. I have one. So go for it. I was thinking about. um, I'm going to start us with a poem. So, I was thinking about how identifying just with a job is something that like you do in kind of, or they do in kind of like ill thought out movies. You know, like like I mean, I immediately think of like rom coms or like Hallmark movies where it's like. She's a retired puppeteer, and he, you know, um, what? <laughs> I did watch a off the rails Netflix Christmas movie where she was an out of work puppeteer home for. Well, it's because those are freaking Mad Libs. It's yeah, like yeah, she's yeah. a yeah. out of work blank. I, are there Wait, like please recommend I will. It's called. I'll try to remember the name of it. Um, Holly Star. It's called Holly Star, and I read Incredible, Incredible is true. It's. It's wild. This movie is off the rails. But yeah, I, I read the um, the description. It was like an out-of-work puppeteer. And I was like, all right, we're going there. But so that's an extreme. But like all these, all, all these where it's like, she's a, she's a, you know, she owns a bakery and whatever. So just kind of playing off that where like it's kind of absurd to just reduce yourself down to a job title. I'm going to recommend a poem by the poet Mark Leidner that's called Romantic Comedies, where he kind of goes through these setups. It's a very long poem. Um, it's from, it was originally in a chapbook of his called Romantic Comedies, but it also appears in his full-length collection, Beauty Was the Case They Gave Me. But I'm going to read 
just like some lines from it. Like a, a, it's it's quite long. I'm just going to kind of like pick out some stuff um, and read it. Romantic comedies. He has a turtle and she has a shell. She's the principal and he's the janitor. She's a widowed social worker looking for a father figure and he's an elderly vagrant. Everyone in his life has drowned and he hates dogs and she's a collegiate swimming coach with a thousand dogs. He's a collapsing star in the heart of the galaxy and she's an ex-con with 5,000 space bucks and nothing to lose. He's a highly sought after model caught up in the spree of drugs and sex that is the Berlin fashion scene and she died in a car wreck six years ago in Zurich. He's trying to solve the Middle East conflict, but she keeps stirring up trouble in the Middle East. He lied to her and she splattered paint all over his car, except she made the paint the exact same color as his car to express the complexity of her anger, but he didn't get it. <laughs> She's the first female matador in Spain, and he's the first male bull impersonator willing to take male bull impersonating <laughs> all the way to its logical and gruesome conclusion. He's a carpenter, and she's a virgin. He is the farmscape at sunset, and she is the silhouette of the barn, the windmill, and the silo. She's like, get a load of this, and he's like, whoa. <laughs> she's a disorienting aroma, and he's a bee crashing into a mirror. He's searching for the Holy Grail, and she has a map to the last known location of the Holy Grail. He's searching for the Holy Grail, and she has a cousin who supposedly knows a guy who says he knows where the Holy Grail is. He's searching for the Holy Grail, and she has little Holy Grail-shaped pupils. He's searching for the Holy Grail, and she's a trapped cricket too small to leap out of the bottom of the Holy Grail. He's searching for the Holy Grail, and she's standing in front of the Holy Grail, smiling up at him impishly, as behind her, the Holy Grail imbues the fringes of her body and face with soft gold light. He's searching for the Holy Grail, and she just swallowed the Holy Grail whole. She's the Holy Grail, but he's searching for Atlantis. And it goes on a bit that. from there. Um, but yeah, I just I think I think that poem is really funny. It's it's great. The variety of the way he like plays with the trope is really fun. Um, highly recommend the full thing. But but yeah, it's ridiculous to be like, well, I'm an architect. Which also I kept thinking of George Costanza like. I'm an architect all the time. Um, you know, like that's, it seems just really silly and reductive when you look at it that way. Yeah. So I have a recommendation in sort of a similar vein, awesome. which is a short story by Lori Moore, who is one of my favorite short story writers. And she has this book called Self Help. And there's a story in the back of this collection, and this is a collection I, I go back to a lot. I just think she's so smart and funny, and her characters are always just very like self-deprecating um, and just very, very messy and human, which I relate to. I don't, I don't know about you guys. <laughs> But I'm an android. <laughs> I wanted to just read a couple excerpts from this short story called How to Become a Writer, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. explores some of the themes that we are talking about today, Madari. So I'm just going to jump around a little bit. So how to become a writer. <laughs> how are you going to do that while reading? <laughs> Sorry. Gail, Gail became a father during the pandemic. <laughs> 
anyway. <laughs> How to become a writer. First, try to be something, anything else. A movie star slash astronaut. A movie star slash missionary. A movie star slash kindergarten teacher. President of the world. Fail miserably. It is best if you fail at an early age, say 14. <laughs> Early critical disillusionment is necessary so that at 15 you can write long haiku sequences about thwarted desire. <laughs> it is a pond, a cherry blossom, a wind brushing against sparrow wing leaving for mountain. Count the syllables. Show it to your mom. She is tough and practical. She has a son in Vietnam and a husband who may be having an affair. She believes in wearing brown because it hides spots. She'll look briefly at your writing then back up at you with a face blank as a donut. She'll say, how about emptying the dishwasher? Look away. Shove the forks in the fork drawer. Accidentally break one of the freebie gas station glasses. This is the required pain and suffering. This is only for starters. Mm. I love her. Take all the babysitting jobs you can get. You are great with kids. They love you. You tell them stories about old people who die idiot deaths. <laughs> you sing them songs like Bluebells of Scotland, which is their favorite. And when they are in their pajamas and have finally stopped pinching each other, when they are fast asleep, you read every sex manual in the house and wonder how on earth anyone could ever do those things with someone they truly loved. Fall asleep in a chair reading Mr. McMurphy's Playboy. When the McMurphys come home, they will tap you on the shoulder, look at the magazine in your lap, and grin. You will want to die. They will ask you if Tracy took her medicine all right. Explain, yes, she did, that you promised her a story if she would take it like a big girl, and that seemed to work out just fine. Oh, marvelous, they will exclaim. Try to smile proudly. Apply to college as a child psychology major. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot more that I marked, but I realized that that's long. But I just love... Ugh, I'm sorry. Don't <laughs> I be. probably need to cut this. No. <laughs> Start when you're ready. I just love the winding way that people make a life. And I like hearing about the messiness. Because I think that that's something when we talk about jobs and we talk about career paths we don't talk about the messiness we don't talk about the failures or the things that we maybe thought were failures but actually helped get us to the next job or to decide okay this isn't what i want to do and that's okay this is maybe what i want to do oh i have a terrible boss maybe i want to try something <laughs> else so <laughs> That's what I love about about that story and just about Lori Moore in general. And I think Madari, um, you would just love her work in general. But this story, it's also just she's also just really really funny. So, Lori Moore, it's check awesome. her out. Awesome. And I love how you you really wind up, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to say anything. And then this is just how you make a life. And I was like. Damn! <laughs> See, the thing is, and this is something I've been learning about myself more and more during the pandemic, during a lot of 
constant Zoom meetings is that I am an internal processor, <laughs> which is I know is something we've talked about before. So I always I don't always have the thing I want to say ready and I often need to like churn the gears and repeat myself before I then actually say the thing and But then when you say the thing, it's the best thing. I never say the thing. I just talk and talk and talk. <laughs> You come in and you're like, I love the winding way in which we make a life and it's the best thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Maybe not the best. I mean, it's close though. (laughs) Don't get a big head. Thanks for joining us for this podcast, guys. We gotta go. (laughs) It's called Making Anne Feel Good. (laughs) I just, I, Anne, I really like how you so succinctly talked about a thing that could so easily be Rascal Flats. God bless the broken roads that led me to you, you know? <laughs> and it made it sound way less packaged and horrible. So <laughs> thank you for that. And I love how both of yours are so repetitive. Yeah. Right? They use, they use what we in the business world call anaphora. Um, <laughs> in my career, we call it anaphora. Really, I don't know if it's now. I think it's probably just called repetition. Um, but yeah, like you both, like, I mean, because it, it really highlights the, it like show, ends up showing just how absurd it all is mm-hmm. at the language, I think. Um, it shows other things, but I think more than anything, it shows how nothing is real. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think, and I think too, and something else I want to say about Lori Moore and why I think some of her writing is so effective is that she uses the second person yeah in yeah. a way that many writers just cannot get away with and so you do see yourself in those narratives and so her work is already so empathetic but i think the use of the second person just makes it that much easier for you as the reader to be immersed Mm-hmm. in that narrative mm-hmm. and feel feel involved and included. I love it. Yeah. I have a recommendation that I was really hoping that so far, and so far nobody has picked that recommendation, and I'm hoping it's either because you haven't thought about it or because you're really nice. Um, and we'll see. Or neither, and I'm stealing one of your recommendations. <laughs> so my recommendation in thinking about how we package ourselves and how um, – I don't know, we we turn into these little automatons of society that do nothing for anybody but act like we're doing everything for everybody. I would like to read Sylvia Plath's The Applicant. <laughs> um, and I want so badly to read it in the voice of Sylvia Plath because it's one of my favorite recordings. Uh, no, I'm not going to. Don't worry. I might, I might slip into a Boston accent, Please. <laughs> but the way that it's one of my favorite recordings of hers because it is so Boston and I don't know if I probably won't, I won't read the whole thing, but, um, it's more about, a, a man searching for a wife or like what it's, it's a very feminist poem. It's like, this is what a wife, a wife is like this thing that does all this work for you and it's broken and you have to, and it's the, the pronouns become it like it's very um like are you going to have this little robot do these little things for you broken person who's broken by the world um and it and that but the way that it's asking these well I guess I'll just read it I can talk about it later um 
I, I find it very stressful to read. So I guess I, what I'm going to do here is, in, is evoke the stress that we feel <laughs> in, in, package, in trying to package ourselves as something that's appropriate for the world, mm -hmm. I guess, in a career way. One second. The applicant. First, are you our sort of a person? Do you wear a glass eye, false teeth, or a crutch, a brace, or a hook, rubber breasts, or a rubber crotch, <laughs> stitches to show something's missing? No, no? Then how can we give you a thing? Stop crying, open your hand. Empty, empty. Here is a hand to fill it, and willing to bring teacups, and roll away headaches, and do whatever you tell it. Will you marry it? It is guaranteed to thumb shut your eyes at the end and dissolve of sorrow. We make new stock from the salt. I notice you are stark naked. How about this suit, black and stiff, but not a bad fit? Will you marry it? It is waterproof, shatterproof, proof against fire and bombs through the roof. Believe me, they'll bury you in it. Now, your head, excuse me, is empty. I have the ticket for that. Come here, sweetie, out of the closet. Well, what do you think of that? Naked as paper to start, but in 25 years she'll be silver, in 50 gold, a living doll everywhere you look. It can sew, it can cook, it can talk, talk, talk. It works, there is nothing wrong with it. You have a hole, it's a poultice. You have an eye, it's an image. My boy, it's your last resort. Will you marry it, marry it, marry it? And I thought a lot about this as, so I, 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 part of me goes back and I'm like, man, I, I really wish that we could go back to this time when, when I didn't have to have a career. And my whole job was just like collecting hobbies for a man that, who might enjoy them, right? I would love to learn how to sketch, you know, for, to be marriageable. And I would love to learn the pianoforte uh, to be marriageable. But that sound, but I don't want to do it to be marriageable. I just want to learn the pianoforte. Um, yeah. People don't learn but, the pianoforte enough anymore. No. They sure no, don't. Do people they just take, call it the piano now? Yeah, they don't take turns about the room anymore either. No, I oh, know. That's, that's a damn shame. I would love to take a turn about the room. <laughs> and just, and maybe not have a man show up in that room. But just take a turn. Yeah, you best know? if he doesn't, Take a turn honestly. with your girlfriends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just thought this, so it, and this, obviously so much of this poem is like setting up this woman to be this robot for you and have the, the life, uh, the, the job of a wife, right? And, and everything's kind of set up for this person. And it's also very terrifying. It's one of the scariest poems. Um, and I think even scarier is the way that she does the R's. So she says like, a rubber breasts or a rubber crotch. And it's so good. <laughs> I love um, how she interrupts herself in the poem with the stop crying ah uh -huh. oh, so good it's so it's just so good it's it's so perfectly timed mm-hmm and she just I mean it, the whole thing is and it's so commanding right it's so like I'm telling you all these things and clearly now you're very upset but you can't do that like you have to keep going because I, you have to go put the suit on, which you'll then die in, just by the way. You're going to die in the suit that I'm about to give you. And so it sets up your whole life as this, like, automaton, right? Um, with rubber breasts in front of I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish I had her strange English Boston accent. Um, a living doll. <laughs> that's pretty good, Gail. Yeah, that's really right? good. I feel Thank like you. we're in the room with Sylvia. <laughs> I, I plap. <laughs> I plap. Um, 
but yeah, so my, but I think my point is here. Um, life is terrifying. I don't know. I see. I'm not, I should be Anne. Let me, let me internally process for a second. We don't have to decide who we are at any given moment. And it doesn't matter how many times people yell at us to stop crying. <laughs> we don't have to wear a suit. We don't have to die in that suit. No. Don't die in the suit. I love it. I love it, Gail. And yeah. that actually makes me think of one of my recommendations, which is kind of a oddball one, <laughs> which is Richard Scarry's What Do People Do All Day? So <laughs> I was thinking so much about Richard Scarry too. <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time with children's literature and I like got really excited to read the Richard Scarry books when someone bought them for my kid because I was like, oh, I love these. I love Lowly Worm and Dingo Dog and all that. And when I first opened like the first page of what do people do all day, there's like a poet in an attic writing poems. And I was like, oh my God, that's so exciting. But then like, it's very clear that our world is a capitalist hellscape (laughs) because even in Richard Scarry's what do we do all day what do people do all day it's like mother works hard with the children and that's why daddy lets her buy a dress you know like it's just like it it is on the one hand it's like validating women's work as work right but it's also just like how are you being productive how are you being so I think maybe if you want to Madari, if you're looking at this like kind of ridiculousness that you kind of noted of people like being so obsessed with their jobs and, and like hustling, it might be really fun to read what do people do all day and assign roles to these obnoxious people in your life. Be like, oh, you're a kind Ooh. of a dingo dog and like you're a you're a lowly worm or you're a whoever. I just think it would be an exercise in perspective. I think it has, I mean, it's, it's so to me the, this question of like influencer culture too, and like what, what brand you give yourself and, and that brand changes all the time. Right. And even if everybody else knows that that brand is stupid for you, it, it can only be part of the narrative. If a year later you then recognize like, well, I, I, I have this, uh, adversity that I need to talk about. Um, and now I've, I've realized that this past brand that I had was very stupid. So now I'm going to be this brand and, or like this name that I'm going to name myself. And like, it's all about, I don't know. It's pa- it's a package. Yeah. It's putting ourselves in these little one name. I am so like on the deepest gut level disgusted by the phrase personal brand and that whole concept of like branding for it. Like it makes me yeah, really grossed out. Yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, that I was told that to, I mean, to apply for jobs. Oh, totally. That totally. was absolutely, yeah. Well, even. Yeah, and we're told that as writers. I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. Even as writers, it's like, um, I mean, I know none of us have done this as of yet, like write a, um, write like a query lo- letter to agents for a novel. But that's like, you're supposed to like, it's like, what's the right balance of like making your book sound so unique but also comparing it to the right people so that they they see what market you fit into so you're like you don't want to sound too much like a copy of other people but you need to like you need to know like how you're shelved basically before you even Mm -hmm. like have the book um picked up yeah Yeah. what color is your cover gonna be (laughs) yeah you have to be you have to be marketable yeah even before you've 
shown anyone your work. Yeah. Here's the thing. I'm not of value to anybody. And that should be okay. <laughs> First part's false. Second yeah. part's true. <laughs> Lisanne is the voice of reason on our podcast. So she's, she's yeah. spoken. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I mean, to me, so much of this, especially like the way that Madari's put it, is like it's not... I mean, it is. It, it is hustle culture. It is this idea of trying to kind of brand yourself. But it's all, I mean, but in that is the conversation around branding yourself. It's the language of hustle culture. It's yeah. the language of, I mean, I think she like rise and grind and like, thank God it's Friday and like all that stuff. It's like, it's that adopted language that we adopt because we don't have any other ways of which to define ourselves ever. That makes me think. I have been very guilty of wishing everyone happy Friday at the end of a Look, work week. Friday is great. Yeah, I think Madari <laughs> actually said, thank God it's Monday. Like the like the opposite, like looking forward to the work week. See, I've like, never heard that in my whole life. On your grind. Thank God it's Monday. <laughs> I don't know. Who are those freaks? I don't know. Yeah. that They sound like the devil. <laughs> 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 that reminds me, Gail, of... I watched one of the fire festival documentaries and I think it was the Hulu one. Cause I watched them both. I think it's the Hulu one where like they interview a bunch of like the influencers who went down and they do like a super splice of all of them, like talking about what their personal brand is. And it's just like mm-hmm. over and over saying like positivity, po- like just like these like vacant words that it's like that, like you literally are saying nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's something that like, I mean, not too, not to break boundaries of my job and my life again, but it's something that we talk about with my students about a lot is like, well, what is the, like, what tone would you like to have in this poem? Mm. Or like, who's the speaker? Or what are some details? Like, where where are we in this poem? Like, what do you want from this poem? And I get a lot of like, I don't know, just like positive vibes. <laughs> and like, I just want to bring out like this, this feeling of like feeling inclusive and, and it's just like all these big words and they can mean anything. And that's why we use the word vibe so much is because I don't think we have any other word to describe vague feeling. Yeah. That actually, if I can jump in with another recommendation, one of the things that this question made me think of was, um, the Kurt Vonnegut novel, Cat's Cradle, which... I really love it's the first Vonnegut novel I ever read and I like had my mind blown by it um but one of the things I I won't get too much into the plot of it because it's pretty complex in fact there's a lot of interesting (laughs) elements and made-up religions and sci-fi elements I've never heard that about Vonnegut uh, (laughs) he's a little tricky that guy old Kurt so (laughs) But one thing is that there, there is this religion um, and one of the tenets of the religion is that like a karas, I believe, I don't, I was going to say, I believe I'm saying it correctly, but who knows? It's a made up word. <laughs> karas or karas, K-A-R-A-S-S. It's a group of people linked in a cosmically significant manner. And something that's a big theme in the book is that people often have what they think is a karas, but it's actually a false karas. And it's like that the connections between people, their perceived group connections are actually superficial and not cosmically significant. So like an example would be like, we're all dentists. And it's like, that's 
that's superficial. And I do think that like when you identify so much as your job, you're really like creating this false community for yourself. And, and there are definitely like, I'm not saying that there's not like shared experiences and careers and, and some careers maybe even more than others. Like, and like right now it's probably cosmically significant to be like a frontline healthcare worker. There's no one else who understands that like you, you know? So like, not that career is always a false cross, but I think a lot of times it is. I think like, you know, being in like surrounding yourself only with the things that are significant to your job are, are like missing some mm-hmm. more meaningful connections you could be having potentially. I like that. Yeah. But also like, I think it also reminds me of like sometimes like again, when you have a vocation inspired job yeah. in order to feel like you matter in it because you identify so much with a job to feel like you matter in any way you're like, yes, I'm doing the Lord's work. Like I'm really, I'm, I'm saving the world <laughs> by teaching them these things, right? And then like, I mean, I'm thinking of like in uh, job applications for professor jobs, right? Like you're, you're really supposed to be convincing who, like your, your boss, like, yeah, I've actually, I actually created the idea of a student, any student feeling good about themselves. I, it was me. <laughs> um, I and I also created this one argument um, and this one like specific scholarly claim that no one else has ever thought before. It's me. I'm the only one. And it's very important. And yeah, I just think, yeah, it's and, and you like try to like pump yourself up all the time so that you feel like if you're connected for your job, that like that means that you're not worthless. Yeah. I've been thinking this week that your your term pump up <laughs> made me think about songs yeah (laughs) pump the jam i have a few songs as i was thinking about this question i was also kind of unconsciously (laughs) there's this modest mouse song called custom concern Mm -hmm. that has this refrain that goes gotta go to work gotta go to work gotta get a job and i have just been like singing that all week (laughs) and so I have nothing profound to say about that other than it's a really great song and often when I am feeling kind of burned out and frustrated by work it's just something fun to belt out I've also been singing once in a lifetime (laughs) by the Talking Heads, which I think is just classic. It's one of my favorite songs in the whole world. <laughs> I mean, it's such a good song, but I think it's it's also just really applicable, right? Like, you may find yourself living in a shotgun shack. You may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile, if I may. <laughs> you may find you may yourself... You yourself, am I, right? am I wrong? <laughs> yeah, and then you may ask yourself, well... How did I get here? And it's like, I mean, it's, it's you know, David Byrne, who is great and silly. But I think, you know, what sort of the undercurrent of the song, which is water flowing underground. <laughs> Sorry. Water flowing underground. Thank you. <laughs> is that right? We, there are all these things that make a life and... You can go through your life 
and then wake up at the end and be like, wait, what? How did I get here? And I think that's that's a common refrain with, with a lot of people who are in, you know, jobs that they don't love or they feel like they, they should be fulfilled by their jobs and so they stay in their jobs for a really long time when maybe they they could look for something better. But um, it's also just a really good song and, of course, has a really great shouty refrain. Mm-hmm. Same as it ever was! Mm-hmm. Which is also something really fun to shout to yourself or to your pets or to your partner when you're just <laughs> frustrated um, at the end at the end of a day. And then the last song I want to recommend is an actual pump-up song, which is 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. Nice. Dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum. And I recommend the song. I have not seen the movie in a really long time, but I know that at the end, Dolly leaves the office job to become a country singer. So, you know. Turns out she's really good at it. Yeah, I mean, who knew (laughs) that I was listening to 9 to 5 today and just, like, feeling really, feeling really great and... I mean, you can't you can't go wrong with Dolly Parton, Madari. So, listen to Nine to Five. Listen to Dolly. I don't know. What Sounds can't she me. do? <laughs> right. <laughs> well, she, she can. Gore both she can from develop a, a vaccine. <laughs> I also. It's funny because I feel like there are some riffs in my own life in the people I know. Um, there are kind of some riffs in this thinking. Like, I definitely know people like Madari's describing. Um, and I think that's, in a lot of ways, the dominant culture. But I also feel like there's this shift between, like, like our parents' generation, where it was, like, you find a career and you work your way up and, like, you're really, like, a company man or, like, you know, in, in that same way. Whereas, like, a lot of people... And I don't know. I mean, I graduated college in 2008, like right into the recession. So I know a lot of people around my age, around our ages, like had interruptions to their early career. So like even if they had wanted Mm -hmm. to go that path, it wasn't presenting itself. You know, like I can't tell you how many people I like, how many like brilliant people I knew who like couldn't get jobs that they wanted for a very long time and then had to get innovated and had to change or like got started on a different path and then you know zigged somewhere else and so I just think like in people around our age I do see a certain openness to like changing careers and or just like an understanding that like we're not going to have the same trajectory as our parents generation and then, well, cause, and we're not we're not being rewarded for staying in the same career. No, as yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, you know, and like they'll dump you as quick as anything. <laughs> and then I work with some younger people, which I feel like very old. I work with some youths who <laughs> I think are just a lot better. Like like, you know, the people I, I work with who are in like their, you know, 20s are just a lot better at setting boundaries and being like, I need a mental health day. Like stuff that I'm like, wow, I'm very proud of you because that's still something I, I have a hard time saying. But like just like kind of setting those 
those clear expectations and boundaries. Um, and I was just thinking about that. I can't remember what you said, Anne, that made me think about that, but yeah. I have something that can tie both awesome. of those together, and that's Blink 182's yeah. All the Small <laughs> Things. Yes! <laughs> Basically, Perfect. anytime I say work I sucks, I someone know. will respond. I know. She left me roses <laughs> by the stairs. I always liked how Tom DeLong said bye because it sounded like boy. Let me know she Sorry. God, it's going to be hard for me to stop. You can't start the song and not sing the whole thing is the problem. <laughs> it's mm. the curse. It is the curse. There are so many um, good anthems, though, for yeah. the pains of like of work and, and drudgery and the ways in but, which yeah work def- define us, which... Mm-hmm. But I think that's something that like is really something to take from... Maybe it's a thing that you're just about to say. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 please. I, because all of these people were people like in bands who had to have jobs to, to like support yeah. their music yeah. life. And then they like, they're the ones who were like, yeah, you know what? I'm trying to just like work at this restaurant and work my ass off making pizzas so that when I go home, I can record my album and like maybe one day, yeah, like make it big. But they're so they're like absolutely living this almost like double life. And that's why they're so wonderful about singing about jobs because they're like, yeah, work sucks. I know. But also we have to live. Yeah. So that they can work their five to nine. Yes. So. I was sorry. I was. This is a recommendation that I decided I wasn't going to say, but since it came up naturally, I recommend the sitcom Party Down, which is about oh. cater waiters who also like most of them. It's in Hollywood, and most of them like either are actors or want to be actors. And I think like that thing where it's like you have your real passion, and then you have like what makes you you know what makes ends meet, what pays the bills, um, and it's just really funny. Adam Scott, bunch of other great folks. Um, so good. And I, it's also, getting rebooted. I think it's, it's getting coming, rebooted. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah. about to release yeah, a new so. season. Yeah. Yeah. Also, there's a new show, which I don't know if it's good or not yet, but it just came out with Adam, so- Adam Scott. I don't know where yeah, my read on is. It's very Midwestern suddenly. <laughs> Adam Scott. I do that. <laughs> I don't know where. Um, with Adam Scott, uh, it's called Severance, and it's about like some procedure that it's kind of sci-fi dark comedy a procedure you go through to separate your work life from your home life yeah i think like ben stiller produced it i'll let you know once i do be so happy just (laughs) just that concept is Mm -hmm. incredible yeah so you literally don't remember what happens outside of work once you get home and i guess oh god bless it maybe vice versa i'm not sure I guess it's my turn to tell you how busy I am, (laughs) 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 which is just that like I do have a lot going on at work and then I'm also like raising an 11 month old and I just like my memory has really kind of gone downhill and the busier I get like the worse it gets so that like people will reference things at work and I'm like I literally don't know what you're talking about. I'm sure I should and that it's something I've been working on but like please tell me again and a couple weeks ago all my um all my tabs got closed and I was like uh and someone told me like how I could restore them and I was like I literally would have just had to resign my for my job because I wouldn't know what I was working on anymore like if I don't have things like open and out there like I'm just like what mm-hmm. what am I doing 
what am I doing? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I maybe have that severance thing, <laughs> but it's just like my brain from the world. <laughs> wow, you I did, did the procedure. Eternal <laughs> sunshine of the mom mind. <laughs> did you get, did anybody else pick a TV show? Well, I had considered speaking of mom, oh, working yeah. moms. I don't know if oh. you guys yeah. very much about exactly that. Yeah. And I, I find it interesting, especially since so many, I mean, primarily women identify as wives and mothers and, you know, like their relationships before mm-hmm. their careers. And also just shout out to all the unpaid labor that goes into yeah, man. mothering, yeah, man. maintaining a household. Yeah. yeah, that show is very funny. I have one major uh, recommendation I have two that are, I don't know, these are just very obvious, I don't know about obvious, but they're very um, popular, maybe, but looking at it through this angle is really fun. Um, but I do want to, us all to remember Jerry from um, in Parks and Rec, Rec. Yeah. Yeah. and how, he, like that episode when he retires, and um, Amy Poehler, <laughs> Leslie Nope um, goes and visits him <laughs> randomly. Amy Poehler, the star, visits him, and um, and he's got. I mean, we already know he has the hot wife. We know he has the hot daughters. But then, like, who's by the way? What's his wife's name? Christy Brinkley. What's his wife's name? Gail. There okay. you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not spelled the same, but it's pretty. Is funny. it Christy Brinkley? Um, Who is it? It's not Christy Brinkley. Yeah, is it? yeah, okay. no, it's Christy okay. Brinkley. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm saying that like I really, I'm pretty sure I know. I hope it's not. Somebody fact check. I'm going to fact check. Research. Fact check. Okay. Um, Did she just yell that at the dog? Research. Research. (laughs) Hubble. Hubble's like, I'm on it. (laughs) I'm on the case. But yeah, so he's, I mean, I love, I just love that one part when like they're at breakfast and when he's at work, he like drops stuff and like is so clumsy. And then at, at breakfast, he like flips the pancakes and then catches the, the plate that, that Leslie Nope almost drops. It's like, whoa, you almost dropped it there, Slippy Suit. She doesn't, he doesn't call her Slippy Suit, but that's in my head. That's what he does. <laughs> um, but all of a sudden he's like just fully himself outside of his job. And I just love that so much. And I think about like Toby in the office, um, because my dad was an HR manager, I, I just really, I know, I know they're the man, but I still really feel for HR managers. Poor Toby. <laughs> I know. And so I like to think about their lives outside of work, you know, how they can kind of keep, have these fuller lives outside of work. Yeah. Um, yeah. That to and me then is really important. On the other, the other end of that spectrum in Parks and Rec, you have when Ben Wyatt <gasps> is unemployed and thinks he is really nailing it. I mean, we can't, we have to mention Requiem for a Tuesday, right? <laughs> Standing in the place where you lit. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, I was telling Leslie, I was comparing this to Avatar. And it's only like five seconds of this claimation. Mm-hmm. But so, he also completed Cones, cones of Dunshire. Say, he yes. does complete Cones of Dunshire. Which is, Which is a amazing. commercial success. Yeah. So, you know. I, I actually, that's one of the episodes that really bothers me because I actually really enjoy everything he does. Yeah. Well, that's what I was... And they're like, Ben, you're very depressed. And I'm like, it sounds like he's having a great time. <laughs> yeah. And his letters to Cleo shirt. Come yeah. on. Yes. Yeah. He's like living the dream. I was going to say the same thing, Gail, that 
that's something too that I think we see a lot that 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 this sort of like taking a break from your career or from a job is is seen as as like well you must be you must be depressed or like there must be something where's your drive yeah Yeah. right like you must be lazy or you must yeah be unmotivated and yeah I do think that that's that's such like a a problematic Mm -hmm. trope if you will yeah I mean, and that's something, I mean, one of the things I love, as I was just telling you guys, like, I love, I love shows where friends who love each other and, and they all work together towards an ideal goal. <laughs> like, The West Wing, Star Trek, like, these are all people who all live and work, essentially live and work together. Um, Star Trek, it's very obvious, but, I mean, West Wing, like, news radio, even. Yeah. I mean, any of those, I love it when people, and there's, like, some sort of, I guess news radio isn't so much of an ideal, um, but um, I don't know. There's like this this sense of like everybody understanding that there's a larger a larger goal mm-hmm. at play, and I love mm-hmm. and I love that because I mean again, I think it's probably the only thing that gives me an identity in my job <laughs> is that there is a larger ideal to follow through, right? But I mean, we we don't have to have. I mean, that's we could ju- we can have our own motivations to do other things, and we can find other ways to follow those bigger bigger ideals and bigger goals so yeah yeah it's a it's a troubling trope as they say i i immediately think of mark ruffalo's character in spotlight it's i mean coming from a journalism life where i feel like everyone is like very much supposed to identify with their job because it's like you mentioned gail it's like it feels Mm -hmm. like a vocation um and then watching that movie in particular and, wa- and realizing, like, the power of journalism, but mm-hmm. also watching this man's personal life oh my God. unravel. Yeah. It's like, yeah, no, I'm just, I have this new place now. And he's just, you know, l- losing, like, 10 pounds every day and running around Boston and, and trying to expose mm-hmm. abuse. But, you know, and I, I like love his monologue at the end where he's just yelling where it's like it has to be now the time is now um it's 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 awful and it's but like also you do like i definitely romanticized that when i was uh, Mm -hmm. a journalist i'm like yeah in the basement of this big important building where all like the big important people are upstairs it's downstairs and they're eating the old cake and they're uh fixing the world and they're you know trying to expose something horrible and they're so in love with this work of making their city and their country and their world a better place and but yeah you do also I think that film does a really good job at exploring how not great mm-hmm. it could be to completely dive into work even if the work is good and something I'm exploring in my current job with my fellow co-workers is also the importance of doing good work, but also the importance of taking time off and resting. And like, for example, I have this week off because my job gave it to me because they're awesome. Um, after a really busy few months and I'm feeling a little Ben Whitey. I'm just like, <laughs> what a depressed person. <laughs> and it, it feels like I, I, I need to be doing something. Mm-hmm. I can't just rest. I can't just stare at the ceiling. I have to do something. But uh, I think somebody mentioned it earlier. It's like rest is really important. And I did see a TED Talk somewhere at some point. I was looking for it at 
some point in this conversation, but I don't know where it is. But it was it was literally about like gaining inspiration, mm-hmm. and I think especially as artists and writers, inspiration is it's not easy to come by at times, and even just staring at the wall and taking fifteen minutes to think about nothing and not do anything is where the magic happens mm-hmm. and where things come to you that you wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I was reading something about why we should all have hobbies outside of our jobs and it was but then it like turned into why those things can help our jobs. And I was like, you know what? Go away. <laughs> but it was I mean it was really helpful cuz it was like cuz I mean I think it's a really part of it really makes sense cuz it says like it's teaching you how to move cuz for me, I don't watch TV at all. I have a TV on. Um, it plays the same thing over and over again. Um, I don't watch it because I'm so in work mode that I'm either working or then I don't know what to do. So then I'm on my phone, then I'm like flitting through. And then the only thing I can do is pull Animal Crossing, which I suppose is a good recommendation. Um, because they're living their best life in Animal Crossing. <laughs> all those little animals in that in that village. Um, they work only to make sure that they're paying for the house that they have. They pay Tom Nook. Tom Nook is an absolute capitalist. But guess what? You get to earn the money that you pay Tom Nook. And like everything makes sense. You, the more that you, the harder you work, the more you get paid. And then everything is very equal. But like, I don't know what else to do because I don't have that sense of like focus and, and flow anymore. Mm-hmm. And they say that like having hobbies like that, like teaching yourself how to sew or throw a pot. Um, or whatever is that uh, did I just throw out the good vernacular and thank you oh yeah um great um, <laughs> the jargon that I needed to um like but that gives that puts you in a state of flow which is such a, like a focused state that we aren't even at when we're at work anymore mm-hmm. we're just so scattered and we're so trying to just get all of our little baby ducks in a row and so by the time that we're done with all of it, we don't know how to keep anything in focus anymore. And so actually that does help us with our jobs is to have that rest and focus and be able to be in a, in a flow state, as they say. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't, I should do that. Um, but I also really hate how they say it's supposed to help your job. Yeah. Um, it also might just help you in your job because you will maybe be alive and healthy enough to keep a job and yeah. have a full maybe life. Maybe a little less irritable yeah. <laughs> when yeah. you have to yeah. go to work the next day. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I went last. So, yeah, somebody else do it. Well, I have one, one final recommendation. Me too. From, my, from myself, um, which is – a big recommendation or like a bulk recommendation, but <laughs> <Uh-oh>. then <laughs> a narrower recommendation. Wow. Can you tell that I'm tired? Um, <laughs> is to the bulk recommendation <laughs> is to listen to the podcast, The Slowdown mm. uh. with Ada Limone. Um, it was originally hosted by Tracy K. Smith. Um, when she was Poet Laureate, but um, Ada Limon just took it over, and it is a daily podcast. It is, each episode is five minutes long, and each day, Ada Limon picks a poem, usually by a contemporary poet, and just puts that poem into kind of an everyday context. And so she starts the podcast by just kind of telling a story that 
leads us into the poem. And I, I just find this generally, um, helpful as sort of, it's, it's kind of like a meditation activity. Um, because it's, it's like the title, right? The slowdown. I mean, poetry makes you, requires that you kind of slow down, pay attention to what's going on around you, what's going on in your body, with your anxiety, at least for me. Um, but there was an episode, um, last week, I think, um, with a poem called (laughs) On Being Asked, What is Your Dream Job? Mm. And I just want to read a paragraph of Ada Limon's kind of commentary or or kind of setup to the poem and then I'll I'll read the poem which I think just has a really it's a it's a beautiful poem but has like a really great last line <laughs> um so Ada Limon's talking about how like she and her friends when they were working you know temp jobs and things in their early early 20s they would meet at these at these coffee shops or or bars and they would get like a stack of cocktail napkins and start to make lists like you know top five places you want to live or top five careers and she said she and her friend um we both put down writing as our number one career poet and playwright respectively and then we both put down acting as our second Mm -hmm. to this day we laugh that there was a time that acting was our fallback career (laughs) I mean, how unbound to reality do you have to be to list acting as a fallback career? But we loved each other's dreams, and we also knew enough actors to know how impossible acting was and is. We just couldn't think of doing anything that others would consider a real career, rather a real job. We were artists. In today's imaginative poem, we see how the question of a dream job gets reworked into a question of what you value and what matters most. The concept of the dream job becomes what you do in your dreams. So here's the poem, and it's short. On being asked, what is your dream job? By Ali Ang. The cops fall dead at my feet. Flowers blooming from their gaping mouths. So I make bouquets for all my friends. We drink wine in the park and kiss each other's foreheads. Lips sticky with laughter. My hand finds a home in hers and no venom drips from a stranger's mouth. The sky glitters like a child's art project while we peel each other's legs open, sculpting our pleasure into a poem, bloody and wet and begging to be born. It awakens, rubs sleep out of its eyes, and ignites the capital in flames. Of course, I do not waste my precious dreams on labor. Mm. That's so fucking Which is just good. so good. So good. That's, I don't have anything more to That's say. It. I think Ada said it, and then I think Allie, like, knocked it out of the park. That's amazing. I don't, yeah. Of course I do not waste my precious dreams on labor. Ugh. Madari, that is Allie's advice, and my advice, and Ada's advice. <laughs> yeah. I love how it recalls Mary Oliver's well I mean it doesn't really it I'm recalling it I love how I'm recalling now (laughs) what will you do with your one wild and precious life which I always look back and I always call it your one wild and crazy life (laughs) because that's so I always think about the wild and crazy life um I love it but it's wild and precious right um (laughs) um 
what will you do with your one wild and precious time? It's like, I'm not going to waste it on labor. Mm-mm. That's Mm-mm. for sure. Absolutely not. I love it. I've got one more recommendation, I too. I love it. Um, it's also... So, I think I recommended this before in a previous episode, but I couldn't remember which one. But it's... um. From Matthias Valina, it's a novella, or I would argue, and collection of prose poems, doesn't really matter, genre is a trap, but called I'm a Very Productive Entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. each piece starts with, I started this one business, and then goes on to say what the business is. And in like true Matthias Valina fashion, it's very like imaginative and surreal. And um, several of them are like, you know, a page or more, but there are also just a bunch that are like one sentence. So I'm just going to read a few of those, though I recommend the whole the whole book. I started this one business that allowed children to remain children for their entire lives. I started this one business that turned single calendar dates into haunting melodies, one slip of the skin, one trip to the emergency room. I started this one business that opened up everything that is closed and held it up in front of the gathered public one time and with great ceremony before closing it up again and burying it forever. I started this one business that folded up maps into replicas of people you went to elementary school with, and when you unfolded them, there was a path to every place you needed to go outlined in highlighter. Oftentimes, they were the places one had already been and had since forgotten about. I started this one business that employed generous-looking, kind-hearted-looking people to walk by you and smile warmly at the exact moment when all you can think about when you see a building is how tall it would have to be to ensure the fall would kill you. So I love Matthias's work and I think that he's really brilliant and thoughtful, but I think what I like about this is how it just kind of turns on its head, like what business is and should be and like what it means to like build something of use to the world. We haven't even talked about like the like, I'm an entrepreneur thing. which I feel like mm-hmm. we don't have to get into, but like we all know those people too. And it's like, ugh. Um, no offense. I'm sure <laughs> think, people I are starting that things. that statement was enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's like a haven for you in that book, Madari. Yeah. I love that. I love Matthias. <laughs> there's a haven for you, Madari. <laughs> yeah. Please stop being yeah. an entrepreneur. Yes. <laughs> Oh God, yes, it's not <laughs> worth it. Um, I think I'll. I mean, I have my final recommendation, which is something that I, I think it, we we've sort of talked about this. Actually, we I don't know if we've talked about this yet, but I think to me this is the the offshoot of this conversation, which is monetizing your hobbies. Mm. Um, and uh. I am someone who I have many, or I had, I had many hobbies, had many loves. Um, no, but I, 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 so like baking is a hobby of mine and I like baking bread and I like baking cakes and and stuff. And every time I've ever made something for someone, I get the same comment over again, which is like, you should just quit your job and open a bakery. It's like, oh, yes, because that will be lucrative. Yes, thank Starting you. Starting a business um, is not at all. And incredibly stable. Yeah. Complicated and stressful. Yeah. Speaking of like a romantic comedy, a Netflix Christmas special. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and it's always like, yeah, Gail, you could really sell this. And it's like, well, 
or I could just like, I don't know, care about the process and then give it to people that I love. I don't know. Like I just, I really, really don't want to pay for her. Like have like it part, be part of my job. Um, and like, I already have like, I mean, for me, a lot of my like consideration, this is like, I don't know. I don't have a great relationship with food. I really don't want it to be part of my job. Mm -hmm. Like it's, I already don't have a great relationship with like work. So like, I don't even know what it would be like if I put those two together, (laughs) it really wouldn't be great. And so like, I think a lot about, um, all those people who tell me that I should be making, I mean, I think a a lot of people are maybe just telling me to stop teaching. I'm not sure. Um, uh, but that, that like, in order to tell me that things are good, they have to tell me that I have to make a side hustle out of it. Right. Or like be able to sell it. And I have enough side hustles. Right. I spent my whole life doing side hustles and I only now have one side hustle. And so it's very important to me to not do that. Um, And so I hope that it's clear where I'm leading, which is I want you to watch all of the Great British Bake Off um, (laughs) and watch what each of our our friends do when they finish the baking world. Nope. When they finish Bake Off Um, and they and they like how they negotiate the baking world, I guess. Cause, um, and I have one person in particular. Um, and I want to, I, I just, I think it's interesting to think about like those who have become successful at what they do. Right. But then also those who, or I won't say have been successful. They're all successful. They're all winners. Right. We all know that. Yeah. But, um, no in the bunch. like I'm thinking about, absolutely. But I'm thinking about like those, those who ended up making the cookbooks, Right. Uh, like those whose cookbooks have been successful, those people who now have shows, right? Mm-hmm. We have Nadia. We have all of these people who like we now know as like people who outside of the contest who now are very famous or now are beyond that, yeah. right? And we have like, I don't know, like Candace has her like pub that she owns that like baking is a part of it but really she wants to be a pub owner Mm -hmm. her parents were pub owners that's what she's done her whole life and it's part of her like what she considers what she wants to do but then also baking is this other part of it um sophie another winner um was i I mean i'm i'm probably gonna get my military names wrong but she was in what i consider the the army she's in some sort of armed forces in the uk um I know a lot about the armed forces in the UK. Um, I know the UAF and then nothing else. So she's in something in the UK. In the UK. Um, but then she decided to, when she left the army, to bake. Mm-hmm. And she's a very good baker. And now she does all these other things. Like first she was a ballet dancer. And then she was, when she went to the army. And then she became a baker. And all these people who are able to either do the, like, do the thing that they love for a job. Right? Ruby, who ended up writing like food writing, right? Um, And then people who just like hang out and live their lives and don't have to monetize the thing that they love. And so I recommend that you, along with me, and along with Caroline, um, fall in love with Louie. May he rest in peace. From Netflix season one, yeah. And I also uh, love Louie, by the way. Everybody loves Louie. Oh, no, I know, but I know. I just know that this, I, I literally thought about this the other day and I was like, I'm going to make Caroline cry on this episode. I'm going to bring up Louie and I'm going to make Caroline cry. We'll just see if it happens. I, yeah. <laughs> but um, Louie, he's someone who, from day one at this show, 
loved hobbies, had so many outside hobbies. And I really respect people who do that. My, my cousin-in-law, I guess, my cousin's husband, um, is an actuary. And I was just, just so impressed about how he could just like be an actuary and then come home and would like, read War and Peace. Just this entirely separate hobby. And then talk to me about War and Peace and what he felt about it and all of these things. And it, I just love, it, it really, I don't know, it really struck me how you can have this job and then this whole entire other life. And Louis, someone who, if you watch this, the, his like rise on the Great Bridge Bake Off, um, he's a graphic designer, and he, but he also like plays the ukulele. He does like all these art lessons. He, um, I don't know, he like travels with his wife. Like he had this like whole life, and then also just happened to be this baller baker. And was just interested in everything. And never, I don't think, ever gave up his day job. Hmm. Like, he just was a graphic designer. Because he was like, yeah, that's what I do. I mean, obviously, graphic design is like an artistic pursuit and like blah, blah, blah. But like, he loved baking. And he, and he did the, what they call, what do they call them, pop-ups? Mm -hmm. And like, I don't know, they, it, there's like a special British name for it. Um, <laughs> but he would like teach some Pop things <laughs> on the like weekends. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah. Bibbity boobs. He would do a lot of bibbity boobs. Um, he, he went on several scallywags throughout the week. He had to really get a wiggle on, but he. Uh... Uh, we are losing our British yeah. listeners. Um, and. Uh, all right. Bye. Louis, oh. Any other British, the one British listener that we have, sorry. Making a mockery. I know. Now it's spoiler alert. Um, but then it's also very sad because eventually Louis did pass um, on election day 2020. Mm. Um, he did not, I don't know, the point, he was in the UK, so it didn't really matter that it was election day. But I do remember voting and then crying um, when I learned that he had passed. So, um uh, I mean, I know that that's a downer note here, but I also think that, like, to me, even though he passed so early, it's he's someone who I, I'm like, he just did everything that he wanted to all the time. He kept his job. He also had 75 hobbies. He had this great wife that he loved. His wife's name was Louise. His name was Louis, and his wife's name was Louise. You can't get better awesome. than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just highly recommend that you look at Louis. I love I him. Love <laughs> I want to add something on a great British Bake Off note that is kind of like playing with the identity thing that we talked about at the beginning, which is that um, one season, and I can't even remember who the contestant is at this point, but Paul you know. is talking about um, how like wonderfully this person did in their in their showstopper, and um, my husband Phil was like watching this one with me and we talk about it all the time because Paul goes he's not a scientist he's a baker <laughs> and yeah I hate that episode or that when he says that so it just, Phil just thought it was hilarious so now we say yeah we can't, like sometimes I tell Phil you're not a sailor you're a baker which he's not a baker <laughs> um so it's just <laughs> but yeah I do think I do think that it kind of turns on its head like yeah maybe he does Maybe he works as a scientist for his job, but I can see that this man is a baker. And so I just think that it uh, it does an excellent job of kind of playing back to what Madari is talking about. Like you can just have a job and have these other things you do. I hate it when Paul says that because I also think that bakers don't have to have a job. <laughs> bakers can just love to bake. And I think that's 
a really good place to end. Awesome. Well, good night and and good luck, Madari. (laughs) We love you. Yeah. Yeah, just forget the haters. Now That We're Friends was filmed in front of a live audience made up entirely of our pets. Your hosts and three new friends are Caroline Cabrera, Ann Holmes, and Gail Thompson. Your fourth new friend is our producer, Lisanne, wow, look at those lashes, Ramos. Our theme music is provided by Gail Thompson. Now That We're Friends is an O Miami production. If you want to ask us for advice to receive our recommendations, you can send a voice memo or written email to newfriend at omiami.org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Now That We're Friends and on Twitter and Instagram at NTWF Podcast. Hi, friends. It's Lisa Ann, the producer. Just wanted to drop in to let everyone know that my recommendation for Severance uh, is very much approved by future Lisanne, who has seen Severance and really, really likes it. So uh, it has my stamp, seal, whatever you want to call it, of approval. Watch that show if you really want to get your mind warped on homework, life balance. Does a number on you. <laughs>